You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And hello, America. Welcome to another edition of Greg's List Live, the home of serious journalism, only on AmericasWebRadio.com. We're... Uh in a little bit of a suspense zone right now, the, uh, the the man that's been providing all sorts of uh, intel on Hillary Clinton's corruption and malfeasance has been shut down by some kind of state uh, operative. Julian Assange, the WikiLeaks uh, head, has been uh, shut down temporarily. I believe he's dumped a lot of information about uh, her that we're still kind of peeling through. Unfortunately, none of it has been quite as visceral as the Donald Trump NBC video. So, uh, thanks to the low attention spans of all of you listening. I'm just kidding. My listeners love to connect the dots and do the mental gym- gymnastics that are necessary. But for the average American, connecting dots is just a little bit too hard of a brain exercise. So, you need something salacious and visual and um, sexually based in order to really gin up the the proper amount of anger. Now, I have seen something. Our buddy James O'Keefe, who has been responsible for a lot of excellent undercover videos with his Project Veritas, has uh, uncovered something that is pretty compelling, showing that Democrats are the ones responsible for the violence at Trump rallies. And Trump rallies, my friends, are far have far more attendance than any of these Hillary Clinton events. We're and, and I I think that the the national polls. I'm not going to say that they're rigged, but I do question the accuracy of them. And with the uh, the venom coming from the Hillary Clinton campaign, I would wager that they don't trust the polls either. Which is why they are continuing to try and uh, commit voter suppression against Donald Trump. And I don't mean voter suppression and uh, we're going to do a poll tax and we're not going to let you vote or we're going to put the Black Panthers out in front and try to intimidate people. I mean voter suppression where they send out so much negative information about your candidate or candidates, the plural, that it drives down the willingness for somebody to actually go vote. Now, yesterday in Georgia, the early voting lines would uh, would be counterintuitive to this message. Some people were waiting in line for three hours or more to vote on October 17th, which was the first day of early voting here. Early voting has already started in some other states. It starts a little bit later in others. But basically, if you don't vote, folks, you have no excuse. The polls are open a long time. I'm a traditionalist. I go on this thing called Election Day. And this year, that's November 8th. The polls are open all day, 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. Some of these races and or some of the the ballot initiatives, maybe you haven't had time to properly research them. In Georgia, we have four uh, constitutional amendments that will be on the ballot this year. And all of them have various uh, points of confusion. Some of them are more nefarious than others. And all of them have some bit of controversy to them. Anytime you change the constitution of your state, it should be thoroughly vetted and thoroughly researched. We're going to be talking about two of the amendments today on the show. We have 
uh, DeKalb County Commissioner Nancy Jester, who has recently come out with an op-ed in support of Amendment 1, or voting yes on it, which is the Opportunity School District, or OSD, would be the acronym for it. And we're going to be talking about um, that plan. It basically would allow the state of Georgia to step in to schools that show a pattern of failure for more than three for three years or more and the schools would be basically taken over by uh, uh, more qualified administrators now this is put uh, not surprising forces in opposition with each other of course you have the PTAs and the teachers and uh, some of the local control folks that say oh my god this is nothing but a power play they're going to take away local control blah 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 Here's the thing, though, folks. Uh, this kind of takeover, this is not government taking over a private entity. These these county schools and city schools, they're already run by the government. In fact, your taxpayer dollars are going to fund some of the largesse in these places. I live in DeKalb County. We have less than 50% graduation rate in many of our schools. As somebody that owns property, I don't feel like I'm getting a very good ROI or return on investment for my property taxes. I would like to see something done that would help reform these schools. And um, you know, I've, I'm leaning towards voting yes. I'm, in fact, I'm, I'm going to vote yes, but it, it'll be on November 8th, unless something really... I guess uh, life changing comes out uh, about the bill that would would compel me to not vote for it. But uh, Nancy wrote an excellent op-ed, and she's going to be going over that. It's got some real facts and figures. This thing has been tried in other states to varying degrees of success. I think the state of Texas is one of the better examples of a uh, a school system that that put in some protections for taxpayers. Uh, put in some protections for students. If if you go to a school that's failed for more than three years, folks, the status quo is simply not acceptable. I don't know why anyone would think that you can defend a failing status quo, especially in some of the schools in Fulton and DeKalb and Clayton and uh, some of the Metro Atlanta schools. Uh, I believe this bill is is fairly narrow. The the amendment is fairly narrow in scope. Uh, it's not a, an all powerful grab. And it's basically the state of Georgia is responsible for many of these schools anyway, and it's another late level of accountability for taxpayers and students. So we'll see if my argument pans out. We'll see what kind of uh, information Nancy can help flesh out. So we're basically calling this Amendment Day on Greg's List. And at 2.30, Dave McClary will be joining us. They'll be talking about Amendment 2, which is the Safe Harbor Act, and little more controversy on this one. The legislature has uh, put together a, um, a proposal, I guess would be the best way to describe it, a proposal to help fight the uh, human sex trafficking, child sex trafficking, by putting a tax on uh, adult entertainment businesses and creating a fund that is 100% dedicated to fighting this new scourge, which uh, human sex trafficking is actually second only to um, narcotics or drug trafficking in its uh, in its scope of crime. So it's uh, it's a serious issue. Um, is taxing a business the best way to fund it? I'm not sure. I'm not 100% convinced on that, especially since 
I'm not convinced there's a hundred percent. There's there's been real raw data that says that strip clubs are responsible for sex trafficking. But that's why we like to have the discussion so we can give you guys the information. Let you do the research on it. The other two amendments, I am looking for folks who would like to talk about them. Amendment three has something to do with uh, judicial qualifications and ethics. I probably need a lawyer on that one to uh, call in. And then amendment four has something to do with fireworks. And if we can tax uh, fireworks sales to um, fund burn and trauma ward units. So, again, they're kind of like looking for ways to do what I call sin taxes trying to tax a sin and use it uh, to fund projects that they believe are somehow related to the products. So it, it's not a completely evil way to think about it, right? I mean, people that smoke cigarettes, they tend to have a lot more uh, problems with emphysema, lung cancer, a lot more trips to the emergency room. So perhaps they should be paying a little bit more, which is part of the cigarette tax. Alcohol, you can argue the same thing. People that are drunk like the Georgia Bulldogs when they lost to Vanderbilt on uh, Saturday during homecoming. Actually, they weren't drunk. They were stoned, apparently. But uh, uh, at any rate, they, uh, the, the idea of the sin tax or a uh, consumption tax is to tax the people using the product and use those proceeds to pay for any damage that is done by said product. So, again, it's, it's probably the fairest way to do it. I'm just not convinced that we need to continue... Uh, creating new bureaucracies just to make ourselves feel better. Uh, let's talk a little bit about presidential stuff, though. We have the final debate coming tomorrow night. That's going to be hosted by Fox. And, uh, you know, the debates have changed some hearts and minds. The debates have been, uh, you know, everybody pretty much concurs that Hillary Clinton won the first debate. And... Uh, Mike Pence won the VP debate. The second debate was uh, a little bit more of a, you know, a mono e woman o uh, battle, and Trump claims victory on it. And a lot of people say that he had a better performance. Uh, since early voting has started, though, tomorrow night is going to be uh, interesting to see what kind of narrative is played out. I'm hoping that Fox can actually try to get some policy based. Um, discussion talking points out there instead of just the you're an evil person well you're a womanizing a-hole if we can get off of that and get to more policy related stuff i think that will be for the benefit of the american people um there's also been a little bit of confusion from the trump camp about uh the difference between rigged elections and voter fraud rigged elections is something that you see in banana republics where people go and there may be only a lot of times there's only one choice on the ballot and magically that person gets a hundred percent of the vote uh it can also be done in other places where they do have more than one candidate on the ballot venezuela comes to mind as an example of this and uh miraculously the president or dictator in charge never seems to lose, which is why we have Maduro in there now who took over after Hugo Chavez. Those are rigged elections. Voter fraud 
is different. Voter fraud, it it happens all the time, and it's usually by Democrats. Not all the time, but most of the people that have been caught in the United States engaging in voter fraud have been Democrats. And it usually happens in states that don't have electoral integrity protections, like uh, protections like requiring a photo ID. Georgia, thankfully, is one of the states that does require a photo ID. And naturally, it's the Democrats that complain about that, saying that somehow that is engaging in voter fraud suppression and violating civil rights because apparently their voters are unable to get photo IDs. I don't know. I don't think it's that much of a I don't think it's that high of a bar to require that. But so voter fraud happens. That's when the Democrats get the dead people to go out voting. That's when they register illegals to vote. You go look at state like California though, they've actually made it legal for illegals to vote. And when you were letting people vote that don't pay taxes, what do you think they're going to vote for, folks? They're going to vote for policies that increase taxes on the people that work. It's completely nonsensical. But Governor Moonbeam over there in California, Jerry Brown, seems to think that having illegals vote is actually going to create better outcomes for the People's Republic of California. So, uh, but, but they really, as far as voter fraud goes, I don't think it's been documented that it's been it to enough of a degree where it's actually changed the outcome of elections. So that would be the difference. And I would hope that, uh, that Donald Trump would be able to say, yes, there is actually a difference between voter fraud and rigged elections because we're basically the last bastion of a, uh, of a republic in this world. So if we don't trust that our elections aren't rigged, then who else is going to trust us, my friends? That's the question you've got to ask. Just because you lose an election doesn't mean it was rigged. I ran for uh, state senate a few years ago and lost by a huge margin. It wasn't rigged. I was just in a very liberal area. And I ran as a uh, regular old-fashioned Republican, not trying to bend or, or sway with the winds at the time. There were just more Democrats where I was. And that's the same thing for Republicans who have more than 30 governorships right now in the U.S. They're not rigged elections. There are people that are looking at Republican and conservative policies and seeing that they actually work. And that's why they're in power now. We're going to go ahead and take our uh, first break here. We'll be back. Nancy Jester is on the line. As I mentioned, we'll be talking Opportunity School District. If you want to tweet at me at Greg's Live, or you can message me on Facebook or comment on any of the links and uh, ask any questions. This one has been very heavily debated, and I look forward to hearing from Nancy. We'll see you in a minute on Greg's List. Obamacare is failing. We all know that, but you need to know why and what you can do to get us back on the right track. Visit us at ObamacareWatch.org. This is Grace Marie Turner of the Galen Institute. Join us at ObamacareWatch.org. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose, and with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. 
Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. When four members of Congress all die within four months, each of their deaths appears to be from natural causes. But when mysterious messages begin to appear in the form of quotations from long-dead revolutionary heroes, one reporter sets out to prove the existence of a serial killer. His search discovers dark secrets and an assassin shielded by people who need the very services that only he can provide. The Sun Silas Rising, a novel by Doug Dahlgren. On Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And welcome back to Greg's Us Live, the home of serious journalism, only on AmericasWebRadio.com. We uh, prefaced this segment of the show, and uh, we'll be talking about the Opportunity School District. Joining us right now is uh, a former candidate for state superintendent and uh, somebody that's been keeping up with education issues for a long time. Now the uh, she'll be returning back to the DeKalb Commission after nobody opposed her in this election coming up. Nancy Jester, welcome back to Greg's Us. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Greg. I appreciate you calling in and taking time out of your day. Now, you had just posted uh, some research and op-ed on this Opportunity School District, which is Amendment 1. The forces against it are uh, have a pretty extensive advertising campaign coming out against it. And I, I think it's best if we actually drilled down a little bit about the bill and uh, kind of fought back against some of the scare tactics. As I mentioned before, I'm, I'm going to be voting yes for it on November 8th, also called Election Day. But uh, I want to make sure people get the, the accurate information on it and realize that it's a far more narrow uh, amendment than what is being, uh, I guess, talked about by the uh, forces that love the failing status quo. So, Nancy, can you tell us a little bit about your knowledge on this bill and compare it to some of the uh, efforts that have come on in other states? States and how this one looks and, and what voters are really voting on rather than some of the uh, the fear tactics that I think they're listening to. Sure, sure, I'd be happy to. So basically, um, right now we have 180 school districts in the state and uh, they're um, overseen uh, such as they are by school boards and they have a superintendent. Uh, and that we don't really have a conduit at the state level uh, to hold folks accountable. So for instance, um, if, let's say, just in, in theory, that you had a school district that never had a zero on every single uh, achievement test and never graduated a kid from high school, in fact, well, what would happen then? You know, could the state hold them accountable for such, you know, terrible results? Well, there really isn't a mechanism. The state um, has no conduit by which they can hold a school district accountable for any of their results. And so what would happen is, your state tax dollars um, would still flow to that school district. And see, um, most school districts receive a significant portion of their, uh, all school districts really do, a significant portion of their um, budget is from the state. Uh, Sometimes it's 50-50 as far as local property taxes, um, state funding. So as a state taxpayer, we're all invested in this, Mm -hmm. right? And so, so the Opportunity School District is basically saying, okay, um, if you have a perpetually failing school, and uh, they define in in this particular um, 
amendment what perpetually failing means, and I think it's three years of um, achievement scores below the 60 um, uh, on the uh, the latest index that we have that we're measuring this by. So, do they still do um, like the Iowa test of basics? I don't have kids yet, so I, I don't <laughs> keep up with all that. Is that how you – is that the it's, metric they use? That is not the metric okay. that is used, um, although I would actually prefer a national – um, uh, a test like that uh, for, mm-hmm. for many reasons and go away from the um, the way we're measuring now. But but that's another debate. So okay. Right now, <laughs> uh, they take um, a test called the Georgia Milestone Test and okay. it tests their mastery of the, the standards and curriculum in the state. And, and then some other um, variables are considered when developing this score for uh, any given school, meaning, um, you know, they get certain points for closing achievement gaps and all kinds of other things. So it's not exactly exclusively just an achievement score. But if you've had, um, so if you rate below a certain level on it, you, you're on a list, okay? And that list is the potential, schools that have the potential to be taken over should the Opportunity School District uh, Amendment Number 1 pass. And what that amendment would do is it would say, hey, okay, um, you, if you've got three years like this, we can take you over, but there's some limitations here. The Opportunity School District can take in no more than 20 schools that are failing uh, in any given year. So year one, let's say they take in 20 schools. Um, another limitation to the amendment is the Opportunity School District can never have in total more than 100 schools in it. Okay. So if, for instance, the, you know, the Opportunity School District took in 20 schools for five years, and they were all still within that Opportunity School District, you know, it would take five mm-hmm. years to get to 100 um, in theory. And then um, the schools have to stay, I think it's not, I don't think they can stay fewer than it's either three or five years, and mm-hmm. they can't stay more than 10, and then they have to be given back to the school okay. district. Okay, what so is, now, uh, now here's my question, what, mm-hmm. and this is where I think a lot of the, uh, I guess the irritation comes from, from the local areas, what does it look like when the state steps in? Do they replace the entire uh, school staff? Do they replace the principal and administrators? What What does it look like? So the governor has to hire a school superintendent to oversee the, uh, the Opportunity School District. And essentially then that person will be responsible to the governor, who of course we all elect. And uh, so that person will be responsible for coming to that school and saying what, what steps needed to be done, okay. whether it's um, getting rid of uh, the leadership, bringing in an outside, uh, you know, do they want to change it to a charter company, uh, a management system, or do they, uh, does he hire new teachers? That would be a decision that the Opportunity School District Superintendent Okay. All right. So base, so there is a little bit of validity to they would try to bring in for-profit charter schools. Is that? No, charters that, okay. are not, that, they're not for profit. Okay. So when you so that that goes back to the charter school amendment that we had a couple of years ago that I think has a lot of similarities to this where they were all screaming that the sky is falling and it's really had a limited but positive impact mostly in Georgia right right it's just one tool in the toolkit mm-hmm. um, to bring choice and um, uh, choice in education to parents who are trapped in failing schools uh, we need more choice not less. We need some accountability for results, which right now, from the state's perspective, we don't have any accountability. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you pay your state taxes, well, 50% of the state budget goes to education. Education, right. And so why, 
are, so, you know, why should somebody, you know, in um, Blue Ridge have to invest in failure in DeKalb? Why? <laughs> why should, don't they have a claim to make that says, well, if my tax dollars are going to get routed down to all, I want to make sure that I'm getting a result, a return mm-hmm. on my investment. So I also think it's a taxpayer um, value issue. Right. And, um, and also I think it's a moral issue. I think that we cannot allow uh, schools to fail in perpetuity without saying, you know, we, this has got to stop. Right. And, and, and quite frankly, I think the only problem with the Opportunity School District is that it doesn't go far enough because it's a, it's a small step that I'm going to support and vote yes for, and I encourage everyone to do the same. Um, but honestly, it's just step one, and we need to follow it up with m- more robust accountability metrics like other higher-performing states. Like Texas is one that you've itemized here. Mm-hmm. Basically, mm-hmm. you can go to blog.nancyjester.com and read her full thoughts. Um, I, I wanted to get into this point a little bit. Everybody that is clamoring against it is saying that, oh, no, local control, we've got to keep it local. A- a- and my argument to them is if it could be fixed locally, wouldn't it have mm-hmm. been already? Uh, you know, if you look at right. if you look at local school boards, uh, that would be the easiest one to um, corrupt if you if you wanted to. Right? It's very easy. Big government evils exist at local government levels. So this idea that local government is beyond reproach, it's just absurd. Well, that's very true. I mean, we see that, you know, we see it in the cab. We see it in other places. You can see the procurement scandals that happened a couple of years back in Bibb County, things that are going on in Muskogee mm-hmm. right now, certainly uh, the continuing saga with, with DeKalb, um, and, and, and there, there are many others. And um, it, you, you're right. I mean, just because you're local control doesn't mean you don't have, um, you know, problems. And what, what I'll say is um, local control is great, and I think it's a good concept that generally works well happens when it doesn't, right? Right. And what happened and, and again, if DeCab or, you know, any of the failing districts were were only operating using local money, local property taxes, well then I, I would have to say, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. I guess the state doesn't have a conduit or, you know, because we're not taking these state dollars. Mm-hmm. If you're taking state dollars, shouldn't the state and we then as taxpayers I mean, have a right to make a demand on how our money is yeah, spent and, so and that sh- we get results? And shouldn't we demand that we get a return on our investment? Right. Uh, that's I, I, that's, that's my that's my point. issue. I, I want to look at it like a business person would look at it mm-hmm. and right. say we have years and years of documented failure, especially in, in, in parts of DeKalb County. I mean, you were on mm-hmm. the school board. Your husband's on the school board. Mm-hmm. You guys are ones that are actively working to improve things. And we have this, uh, this swell of people that apparently think the failing status quo is acceptable and that that's Mm -hmm. uh, that really pisses me off well you know i'm with you because i mean i think every taxpayer around the state needs to you know realize and acknowledge that their money all it is doing is subsidizing failure unless we hold them accountable Mm -hmm. and say okay well if you can't get results then we're going to take it away from you and we're going to um change the you know change the trajectory of mm-hmm. this school and i mean i think that that um needs we need more and more um accountability this is like i said step one mm-hmm. i mean if you look at um a model like in the state of texas um and, and really if you start to look everywhere I, I don't think people in georgia quite realize how unusual our um 
state Department of Education and our sort of system of accountability is. It is <laughs> perhaps the loosest of all of them. I mean, almost every other state in the, the U.S., they accredit their own schools. Their Department of Education has that, you know, adds that value. They accredit them based on um, academic achievement and financial stewardship. So it's and basically it's, handcuffing our st- uh, the way it's set up now handcuffs the state. It makes them almost obsolete. Oh, the state. Yeah, I mean, if the, if the State Department of Education went away tomorrow, other than as a pass through for some federal grants, I don't think anyone <laughs> would notice. I that's, mean, a, that's a shame a, that uh, we have so fact. much of our budget allocated to education. In Georgia, really, you know, we have some, some wonderful school systems. I'm oh, from East do. Cobb County. I mean, for Scythe County. And that's the other thing I've seen is some some folks that are from some of these counties that don't have any failing mm-hmm. schools. Mm-hmm. I, in my opinion, they're being a little bit selfish by saying, well, we're fine here. We don't need to fix it in other places. I can assure my friends, if, De- if DeKalb County goes the way of Detroit, then it's going to bring down the entire uh, metro Atlanta area so we we, we well, cannot yeah. afford to have that Nancy we gotta well, we gotta wrap yeah. up here I got uh, I got about 20 seconds for you to make a final case uh, it's good for taxpayers and kids alike but yes on amendment one awesome Nancy Jester you can check her out blog.nancyjester.com for the full text of her op-ed we appreciate you calling today and uh, we'll see you soon out in uh, DeKalb thanks Nancy my pleasure. Thanks, right. Bye-bye. And uh, we've got uh, Dave McCleary here who will be talking about the Safe Harbor Amendment coming up after the break. It's been a, it's been a very uh, educational show so far, and we will not stop educating the masses. Stay tuned. 45 years of experience is behind the most trusted name in auto transportation. Passport Transport, the first and finest today. That's why Passport Transport is the preferred auto transport for major auto manufacturers, concours, museums, tours, and collectors, and should be your choice from across the state to across the country. When you have the need, go to PassportTransport.com and enjoy the peace of mind referenced experience will give you. Passport Transport. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. The United States Justice Foundation since 1979 has been dedicated to instructing, informing, and educating the public on legal issues confronting America. That means you and me. When necessary, this nonprofit organization has had to litigate to present the constitutional view. Since 1980, USJF has submitted testimony to the U.S. Senate on all but one U.S. Supreme Court nominee. Learn more about USJF by visiting their website at www.usjf.net. Support this nonprofit as it defends our rights, our liberty, and our Constitution. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And welcome back to Greg's is Live, the home of serious journalism, only on AmericasWebRadio.com. We just wrapped up a segment with Nancy Jester talking about Amendment 1, the Opportunity School District, or 
OSD for the acronym. We're doing uh, Amendment 2. We're going in a numerical order. How do you like that, Georgia? We're going in numerical order so uh, so the people that are in failing schools can keep up. Uh, Dave McCleary has been an activist uh, for many years and um, big time with the Rotary Club. And you're, Are you in the Roswell Rotary? I'm in the Roswell Club, that's correct. Roswell Rotary Club and uh, businessman and uh, a great guy. And he's been working very hard on an initiative along with several others. Uh, Todd Ream's been working on it. Uh, Renee Unterman, uh, the state senator, and um, Dave, your kind of your role with this one. This is constitutional amendment two, and I'll let you kind of introduce it a little bit and tell, to explain what your role has been with it. Well, Greg, I appreciate you having me. Uh, you know, years ago, I got involved in this issue in 2012 as a volunteer for the Passion Conference, and to be honest with you, I thought, why, you know, why human trafficking, why sex trafficking in Atlanta? met a girl named Melissa who went to Roswell High School and dropped out, was trafficked uh, in downtown Atlanta for two years, and uh, had her come to the Rotary Club in Roswell, and she told her story. And uh, after the meeting, one of our members gave Melissa a big hug. I said, how did you know Melissa? He said, she used to babysit my kids when she was 12. Mm. So then it wasn't somebody else's problem. And I thought, what a great opportunity for a Rotary organization like Rotary to get engaged in this issue. So since then, that's what I've been doing, uh, not only on the state level, mm-hmm. but uh, internationally. And so uh, several months ago when this uh, bill, when this uh, passed on the, on the ballot to be put on the ballot in November, I was asked to be on the ballot initiative committee along with uh, United Way and Junior League and several other people. Uh, gotcha. You mentioned Todd Ring. And so that's kind of my involvement from the beginning. And this is just a great opportunity for us to pass an amendment that's going to help these children. What it's going to do is assess a 1% fee to adult entertainment facilities and in- increase the penalties for buyers of these children so that once they're convicted, they will, that those funds will go into a dedicated fund. And what I'm really excited about is that this, these funds will actually uh, not increase our taxes, and it'll be a dedicated fund similar to the spinal and brain fund that was created several years ago. Mm-hmm. It's a volunteer commission that will distribute the funds based on grant applications from these different organizations. And... Uh, Based on what we've seen, is this is the best opportunity because Georgia, as you know, with great people like uh, Sam Owens, who just left the Attorney General's office, and Renee Unterman has been passing some amazing laws in Georgia. We've gone from a grade D to an A on this issue, but there never was any funding for the girls. Once they get rescued, there was no funding for them to go places like, for instance, Wellspring Living, who treats these girls. They spend majority of their time trying to raise funds to actually create bed space. Mm-hmm. So what this will do is it's estimated that it will create as much as $2 million to 2 to $3 million annually to help these girls go through treatment and then get job training. It's uh, estimated uh, that it could cost as much as sixty to 80000 per child for this. And so it's a great opportunity for us to help kids in Georgia, but also uh, without raising our taxes and as a conservative, that makes me happy. <laughs> yeah, anytime you can find funding without raising taxes on the majority of people. Now, we all know that corporations don't really pay taxes. They pass it on to the customers. So it, it'll it'll raise fees for a few people. But uh, it, the, the facts are, folks, that, that hundreds of Georgia's children are trafficked and exploited. The, their average age is 13. Uh, I mean, that's, you know, that's very disturbing. I mean, I know a lot of us, we see, you know, it on TV, and it doesn't seem like it's as close as it is. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, you know, 12 to 
14 is the average age of these kids, which blows me away. I've got two girls, and at the time I began this issue, they were both teenagers. Now they're in college, but I, I just couldn't imagine anything happening mm-hmm. to them. And uh, it's estimated by Georgia Cares, who is an organization that deals with all juveniles in Georgia, that uh, they've reported trafficking cases in 102 counties in Georgia. That's a, and we have 159, so wow. So clearly a, huge, a majority. Huge percentage. I was in Nashville, Georgia, uh, speaking to a Rotary Club. And to be honest with you, I didn't even think it was in Nashville, Georgia. And a uh, <laughs> town of 6,500. This town in South. South. south yeah, near near uh, Valdosta. Everything south of Atlanta is called South Georgia, folks. Yeah, just exactly. so you all know. <laughs> exactly. But they had a, a the prosecutor of the town was in the Rotary meeting and uh, said that they had signed a warrant for child rape that morning. And that mm. could have been trafficking. So. It's all around us. It's in, like I say, 102 counties. And, now, uh, a lot of the girls, are they from others? Are they foreigners? Do illegal immigrants get exploited with this? Or is it a lot of just Georgia teenagers that are just born and bred here and somehow get kidnapped? Or how does this, you know, how does this manifest? Great question. Uh, that's the one question I get because the, the term in, in the U.S. is human trafficking. So people assume they're trafficked over the border. But in most cases, that's not the case. These are our kids in our community. Uh, a big majority of them come from foster care. Uh, from other agencies where they, there's been some issues. So they've had a little bit of a problem, Correct. childhood anyway? Okay. And then, uh, Not their fault, of course. But. And 1.6 million kids are estimated to run away by the National Center for Missing Exploited Children. They estimate as many as one in three of those are trafficked every year. And it's been estimated in Georgia that uh, over 200 children are trafficked a month in, the, in Georgia. And I'll give you an example. There's a... a lady that we work with quite a bit that's an ambassador for Rotary named Dorsey Jones. Mm-hmm. She grew up in Bainbridge, Georgia, was forced to sleep with over 200 men by the time she was 12. Mm. Well, fortunately, somebody invested in her life, and they saw her on a merry-go-round, a counselor, and said, what's the problem? Got her a place to live. Ended up helping to get into college. She got a degree um, in criminology, and now she works with Salvation Army helping other girls. And she tells me the story quite often that if I only had a amendment like this, an investment in my life when I was 12, maybe it wouldn't have happened. And so what this is doing is investing in the future of our kids uh, with a small investment. Again, it's not raising your taxes. It's an opportunity to create this commission that's going to be volunteer, it's going to be non-political, and the reason it has to be a constitutional amendment is it does not go back in the general fund. That's the one question I get. Okay. You know, the recycling fund that's always on there goes back in the general fund mm-hmm. and gets spent by the General Assembly. These funds will not be able to be spent by the General Assembly or the legislature. It'll be, it would be a dedicated be a dedicated fund. And what's great about it is the people appointed to this fund, the lieutenant governor, governor, several people have appointees on DFACs, will have appointees on the committee. And these would be child advocates that care about kids, not political friends or appointees. Now, you, when we were talking, I think right before we came on, we were talking about the challenges that the amendments have. Obviously, we're uh, on social media, Republican circles, Democrat circles. The Democrats, I, I, I hate to say it, but they're the ones who really fight education reform tooth and nail. Um, and that's why I worry a little bit about the OSD, because the Republicans have had this reputation of being the party of no. And I just, I, I'm hoping we can get some more information out to people they can make a more or, uh, educated decision on that amendment. This amendment, I believe you said this is one that's not a top-down amendment. Um, that's correct. It's a grassroots movement. And other thing I'll mention, too, the 88% of the legislators 
uh, voted to pa- put this on the ballot. And this is a bipartisan. It's a bipartisan amendment. amendment. And what's great is we've partnered, Rotary has partnered with the Junior League and with United Way and several other churches and synagogues and different other groups to really a ground-up approach. We, we think it's the, way, the best way to do it. And it's amazing the people we talk to that have engaged in this issue. Again, we're doing it on a shoestring budget, uh, mostly with volunteers. And uh, the excitement that we see, you know, whenever you talk about, you know, somebody knocked on your door one day and said, uh, I'm a I'm, you know, 16-year-old kid, I need help. Are you going to help her? Of course you're going to help her. So what we, this gives us an opportunity to help these kids um, by passing this amendment. It's uh, November 8th of Amendment to vote yes, safe harbor, and be sure, be sure to tell all your friends and neighbors about it. Now, as well. Are there any um, efforts to, you know, do some matching donations? Because Rotary is is renowned for being very generous. I'm I'm wondering if there wasn't a way to do this purely from the private sector. There, as far as the like raising the fund, like two million dollars, it's a rounding error in D.C. I'm just you sure. Know, I, I, that's just a question I'm yeah. going to have. No, that's a great, uh, great question, and and there is some uh, conversation around that. I think this will be a good start to show how this commission is set up. Mm-hmm. Again, the brown, the brain and spinal fund that was set many years ago has been tremendously it's out successful. Well. It's been almost 30 years in the making. And so this will be a great model. And potentially what we could do is have the private sector match this. You know, obviously this issue, as far as knowledge, is fairly new to the public. And mm-hmm. uh, fortunately, uh, I just was involved in a business engagement event with Rotary and the uh, statewide task force just the other day, and we had – Coke Delta, many of the large corporations, Ron Stat was there mm-hmm. wanting to engage in this issue. And they're all very supportive of this. Uh, Anthem and Blue Cross Blue Shield have been tremendously supportive of this. Mm-hmm. So I think once we create this fund, we'll be able to have a, additional funds coming out. Gotcha. That. So basically you get this one done and it'll build a, a positive trajectory that, that uh, you'll be able to say, look, we've got this. Can you guys come in as the private sector and, and pitch in? I think I think that's a, that's a good strategy. Here's the question, folks. Uh, the uh, Whenever the, the I mean, it's rare that we actually have four amendments on. It's very difficult to even get these. I believe you need two-thirds of the legislature uh, in both houses. And then the people of Georgia get to vote yay or nay on it. There is no runoff in this. They need 50% plus one, and it becomes an amendment. And then you get to implement it the next few years. So it's uh, certainly uh, an arduous process. This question goes on, and they always fight about how the language of the ballot is. So when you go, this ballot language says, shall the Constitution of Georgia be amended to allow additional penalties for criminal cases in which a person is adjudged guilty of keeping a place of prostitution, pimping, pandering, pandering by compulsion, solicitation of sodomy, masturbate, I, I don't know if I can say that on there, for hire, trafficking of persons for sexual servitude, or sexual exploitation of children, and to allow assessments on adult entertainment establishments, aka strip clubs, to fund the safe harbor for sexually exploited children fund to pay for care and rehabilitative and social services for individuals in the state who have been or may be sexually exploited. And then you'll have yes or no. So I'm going to guess you probably get a yes on uh, 50% plus one. So have you all done any polling on this? Not yet. It's a little early. Okay. Again, we're a grassroots organization, yep. so we don't really have the funding to do a lot of polling. Yeah, especially but on a statewide referendum. I think the biggest thing is I'm speaking and several other people are speaking around the state. And once we tell people about it, they're willing to, they want to vote for it. It's just with so many amendments, just make sure they go to uh, Amendment 2 to vote mm-hmm. yes, 
Uh, and also, if you go to our website, yeah. uh, safeharboryes.com. Yeah, the, we are live streaming, so I'm going to hold up. You'll see some of these purple flyers. Uh, they've become, I think your branding's been great, or maybe I just go to too many Republican events. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Todd's done a great job your with that. Your shirt even uh, matches. Yeah, that's yeah. right. I just, Look at that. Noticed that. That's pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> color coordinated. Well exactly, done. Exactly, exactly. So, uh, yeah, so these ones, it's Safe Harbor's kind of the name that it's taken on. Um, all of the amendments have... Well, I guess one and two are really the ones that are, you know, getting the most publicity. The third one with the judicial and the ethics, that one's really kind of in the weeds. And then yeah. the fourth one's like, oh, we, we still have fireworks here. <laughs> but uh, so anyway, one and two, folks, are the ones where really the money is, uh, literally. <laughs> so make sure you get informed on it. Safeharboryes.com is the pro. I, I doubt there's a safe harbor no. There's not. I mean, so the, so you got that going for you, yeah. at least. Dave McCleary with the uh, Safe Harbor program. We appreciate you coming in and uh, talking about this issue. I, I really appreciate your effort and, 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 and your volunteerism and, and your passion for this. Well, thanks for having me. All right. We'll be back um, in a couple minutes. We'll be wrapping up today's show. If you have any questions or comments, of course, I do encourage you guys to uh, – you can tweet at me. You can Instagram at me. I'm not on Snapchat. I'm still trying to figure out how that's in any way useful for politics, but uh, you only get six seconds or something like that. I And qu- Twitter's only 140 characters or less, Dave. But uh, anyway, we'll be back in a couple minutes on Greg's List. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not – You probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is Lawyer Liz. Join me each week as we discuss drones, the Internet of Things, and all the technology in between. It's Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz, Wednesdays at 2. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio. When four members of Congress all die within four months, each of their deaths appears to be from natural causes. But when mysterious messages begin to appear in the form of quotations from long-dead revolutionary heroes, one reporter sets out to prove the existence of a serial killer. His search discovers dark secrets and an assassin shielded by people who need the very services that only he can provide. The Sun Silas Rising, a novel by Doug Dahlgren. On Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com. Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation, which since 1979 has been watching out and, when necessary, taking the appropriate action from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. 
USJF, a non-profit organization, is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government, as well as those involved in legal cases, have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And welcome back to Greg's This Live. We've had a really wonderful show today, educating folks on Amendments 1 and 2. I do encourage you guys to, to research them, safeharboryes.com. Dave McCleary uh, came in on that, and also for a... Uh, 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 an analysis of Amendment 1, go to blog.nancyjester.com, and you can read her thoughts on the Opportunity School District, which I think will shed a little bit of light on the opposition who is running a pretty slick advertising campaign. I'm always of the mindset, if the Democrats don't like it, then it's probably good for America. That's kind of kind of what I think. So let me know your thoughts. You can message me uh, on Facebook or Instagram or tweet at me, and um, we'll make sure to get your thoughts out there. Again, I am looking for folks. Uh, the Third Amendment would probably be the best one, so any of my legal eagle buddies out there that have opinions, yay or nay, on Amendment 3, I haven't researched it uh, fully yet to make one. I, you know, I'm not a doctor, no on everything, but I certainly am, uh, you know, critical of efforts that would decrease um, government accountability. So, but uh, you know, the good news is I've got a, I've got one of our cousins here from from Ecuador who's been quite the uh, the Trump fan. Eric, I know you've been traveling a little bit around to uh, to visit. You've been following the uh, election online. And I got to ask you, you know, Trump is not polling real well with uh, Latinos. But so what? You know, you went up to the rally in Charlotte. What did you see there? And and tell us a little bit about your experience. Great, thanks for having me here. Yeah, I went to the um, I went to the Trump rally in uh, Charlotte, uh, North Carolina, mm-hmm. and it was packed. Uh, Trump says it's a love fest. <laughs> no one, uh, no, you know, the only people make, uh, doing trouble were, I guess, Democrat Hillary protesters, and that was it. Yeah, uh, I didn't feel threatened. You know, you could, you could tell my accent and everything. I'm Hispanic, <laughs> and there were a big Hispanic group there supporting him. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm fi- I believe uh, he's doing good. Yeah, well, Hispanic, at least with the legal ones, the ones that came here. Like <laughs> I was going to so. say, for the folks that, that that work hard, it is interesting that legal Hispanics tend to not be fans of illegal immigration. And I know in Ecuador, um, y'all have your own issues with illegal immigration down there, don't you? Because right, we do. We Ecuador do. uses the dollar as currency. And so the neighboring countries like Peru and Colombia – they will come there and illegally work. Am I correct? Exactly. Uh, they come work and they take our money and there's nothing that we can do. We do have kind of a, like an open border with this new president. So I can see what would happen if you do have that open border that, you know, the Democrats want to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can see her social socialist agenda coming in. It's kind of like we have in Ecuador. So... I've seen, uh, you know, in person what happens with those agendas and those policies and what can it, what could happen here. Yeah, well, you know? we've seen in Venezuela, which has always been something for me. At first, it was a frustration with the people for allowing 
um, their living conditions to degrade so much. But at a certain level, when it's a military junta that's in place, when it's a Hugo Chavez who is basically stealing everything from anybody, stealing, shutting down private industries, private sector jobs, and forcing people to the fields to work and stealing all of the oil revenues, that, that this has turned into a humanitarian crisis. And we cannot allow any of that to to move to a country like Ecuador, which does use our dollar. If 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 Ecuador's currency crashed, they they're not a, the biggest uh, gross domestic product in the in the world, but it would certainly hurt the American dollar if something happened in Ecuador, where it, even half even half to the extent of what we've seen in Venezuela. Exactly. So, yeah, you don't want that to happen here. Uh, happen here in the states or in Ecuador. Now, t- talk about the economy in Ecuador a little bit. Like, do you guys – we went to the gas station today, and you pointed out this pack of gum and said, my God, it's so much cheaper here than in Ecuador. So basically, American goods just get hammered with tariffs in Ecuador. Is that right? Yeah. You know, it kind of reminds me of that, uh, I think, um, weren't they trying to put, like, a sugar tax here? Yep. Uh, the mayor up in uh, in New York was trying to tax uh, sugary drinks or ban them from being more than 20 ounces. There's been all sorts of ideas like that. Yeah, so the um, the pack of uh, winter fresh or whatever. Juicy the fruit. Go, the juicy fruit, <laughs> whatever, whatever I bought. Uh, in Ecuador, it's like, 30, you know, like $3. Yeah. Here, I don't know. I, I didn't pay because it's so cheap. I didn't see it. Yeah. Probably like ninety nine cents. Yeah. So, like cars are expensive there cars to are buy. Expensive. To buy a used car in Ecuador, uh, you can have like a ten year old car cost twenty thousand dollars. Right? Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Uh, brand new. I don't know. Brand new Toyota Corolla. That's probably like around thirty five thousand. So, and here's like what maybe twenty. Yeah. Yeah. So it's about twice as much. Twice I know. Much. I've looked into. Um, you know, put, taking a car to Ecuador and trying to sell it, but the way they get around that is you either have to pay off a customs person down there and you can smuggle it in. But they have very strict title laws down there. In fact, you really can't drive from one country to another. Uh, I, f- I mean, I know maybe in Peru and the northern part in Mancora, they'll let Ecuadorans go, but they're pretty, they're strict. I mean, I, we've we've been pulled over there and they've asked, you know, for the, the papers, ese. And, uh, you know, they make they make you pretty nervous. They, they We call it feeding the crows. Basically, they will uh, threaten to impound your car. Magically, a $20 bill will solve any of the problems and get you from having to show up to court. It's crazy. Oh, have a good time, yeah. <laughs> but they, they, they ask you... Um, did they say it? What did they say? Oh, no, they pulled They pulled this over, and um, the wife, I guess she didn't have um, one of the documents that was right. needed, the registry. She had most of it, but there was one form missing, or maybe it was out of date or something. Yeah, it's like and 500 papers. They were giving us a very difficult time, and had pulled. they were literally pulling everybody over that were sneaking down by the, you know, the road by the airport when you cut over to San Borondon. Mm-hmm. That road that used to be a sneak through, they had basically, now everybody knows about it, so it's not as much of a shortcut anymore, but they were basically just pulling everybody over mm-hmm. and giving them a hard time, and they were just collecting $20 a person, basically. Exactly. <laughs> so, That's what happens. Yeah. So with a command economy, you've been able to witness firsthand that money doesn't really trickle down in Ecuador, right? The the people that are, you know, born uh, into poverty, very difficult for them to escape, right? Yeah, they probably stay in poverty. It's pretty hard, you know. Either you have a lot, lot of money or no money at all. I want a few ones that, like, it's right in the middle. <laughs> 
So yeah. it's like that. It's kind of hard. Hard to, you know, and these gover- socialist governments, that's what they exploit, you know. So they say that we're all going to be equal. They all think we're going to be equally rich, but it's the truth is we're all going to be equally poor. Mm-hmm. And only the few ones up there in the government are the ones with the yeah. money. Yeah, I was about to say, there is a pattern, folks, of any kind of uh, government-centric um, setup is the bureaucrats are the wealthy people, not the business mm-hmm. owners. Now, there are some wealthy business owners in Ecuador, and I'm sure there's probably a few still in Venezuela. But Venezuela has turned into where uh, they always talked about socialism being, you know, you're you're going to run out of using other people's money. In Venezuela, they've run out of using other people's toilet paper. There it's gotten that bad there. It is, uh, uh, as I, I don't want to overstate it, it is a humanitarian crisis. And the problem is their government is so stubborn that they won't accept help. I mean, right. their people are starving uh, in that country. And, that, and, and Venezuela is very fertile land. They have a lot of petroleum reserves. It's, it's a casebook or textbook example of what happens when you let government become all-powerful. And that's, that's what we're fighting against here in the United States. Uh, we're fighting against a, a government that, that crosses new boundaries every day with the, the millions of regulations the, that Obama has pushed through. A Hillary Clinton presidency will certainly use bleach bit on any of the corruption that has gone on there. They refuse to admit that Obamacare is an abject failure, even though 16 out of the 23 exchanges that were set up have gone bankrupt already. They're no, they're no longer in business. Americans now are getting letters every day stating that their coverage is no longer available next year. And guess what? You can go shop on the marketplace and see how much your new coverage is. And generally, it's I've seen people with a you know wife, two kids, and a, and a husband, and their premiums per month, Eric, can be twelve hundred dollars a month. Can you imagine wow. paying twelve hundred dollars a month? That's almost fifteen thousand a year for this uh, for for mediocre insurance. That's what a lot of people argue. Well, anyway, guys, we really appreciate y'all listening today. I uh, wanted to thank my guests, Dave McCleary, Nancy Jester, and uh, Eric uh, Portalapusi. Is that how you say your last Velasquez. name? Velasquez. Velasquez. Okay, so they... they Portalupi. <laughs> Portalupi. See, I, yeah. Well, I messed that up a little bit. As I tell people, Spanish is my second and a half language. But anyway, we'll be back next week. Anybody that wants to talk about Amendment 3, let me know. Would love to get some more intel on that. Thank you for listening to Greg's List. We'll talk soon. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Obamacare is failing.